I'm going to play you a clip from a video made in the 1940s. It's called The Valley of the Giant. Take a valley, broad and gentle. Stretch it from the highlands to the sea. Cover it in grass, dense forests, lush fields, and great pastures. Cloak it with natural beauty. Build cities and towns along the wooded slopes, and you have the Valley of the Mississippi, the greatest in the world. This documentary was made by the United States Army Corps of Engineers. That's the government institution responsible for overseeing navigation and flood protection projects along the nation's rivers. What really struck me about this video was that introduction, the way the narrator describes the Mississippi. You start with a valley, you sprinkle vast woodland and great pastures around it, stretching it from the highlands all the way to the sea. It's a beautiful way to describe the third largest watershed in the world. But that's not the primary purpose of this old film. Most of the 27 minutes describes the danger of the Mississippi, the Great Flood of 1927. But sometimes the giant gets out of control. Sometimes the rich valley lies helpless, defenseless against great floods which leave terror and destruction in their wake. And how miles of levees will protect, without fail, the people and property that have found a home along the river's banks. And so, the master plan goes forward. In the spring and fall, when the giant river awakes to begin its headlong rush to the sea, these massive walls will stand as a bulwark to protect the valley. Agriculture will flourish unharmed, and the people of the valley will prosper. Cities, formerly ravaged by flood, will grow stronger under the protection of the great levees. Despite these long-ago promises, flooding is getting worse. In 2019, we've seen almost record water levels in some places. Farms are flooded. People have been dealing with flood water for weeks and months at a time. Even more, some levee and agricultural districts have all but weaponized their levees, making them taller, all to protect themselves from rising waters with no approval from the Army Corps of Engineers or other agencies. In the event of a severe flood, they risk pushing up to a foot and a half of water onto their neighbors across the river, upstream or downstream. I decided I needed to see these levees for myself and talk to people whose livelihoods could be altered by someone else's actions. Got the Mississippi River Blue Oh, you Mississippi River With water so deep and wide It didn't take long to decide on the perfect place to visit along the river, Hannibal, Missouri. It's 100 miles northwest of St. Louis, about 17,000 people live there, and it sits just across the river from the Snye Levy Drainage District in Illinois. That's one of the districts that has levees two to three feet taller than what they're allowed to have. If there's one thing you should know about Hannibal, it's that it's the boyhood home of Samuel Langhorne Clemens, or as most people know him, Mark Twain, one of America's most famous authors. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, The Prince and the Pauper, just to name a few. Admittedly, the river and Hannibal are very different today than they were during Twain's lifetime. 
but the threat of flooding remains and has even gotten worse. My first experience in Hannibal was meeting Nancy Guyton, a woman who's been fighting against these raised levies for almost 10 years. As she puts it, it's a full-time job with no pay. She no longer lives in Hannibal, but she grew up there and helps care for farmland with her husband in and out of Missouri, about an hour downstream from Hannibal. There wasn't much time for small talk after our cordial meeting. She was my guide through the levees just across the river, the ones maintained and illegally raised by the Stye Levee Drainage District. Just so I don't have to say that every time, I'll refer to that district as the Sny from here on out. She drove me out of downtown Hannibal, onto Highway 72, and across the river to Illinois. A highway accident a few two-lane roads later, we reached a sharp turn onto a gravel road, just off the entrance to a grain elevator. Here we go. Look up there. No, look over. Look up here. Here it starts. That's the start of the... That is the freeboard they're putting on the levees. Mm. On their already too high levees. See how obvious it is? Yeah. And it gets worse. That's us, driving on this gravel road situated right next to a levee that makes up the northernmost part of the Sny. We're reacting to how massive these levees are, both in height and width. Dark brown sand piled in a neat formation. From our viewpoint, the sand sloped gradually upward to the very top, but there was no plant life growing on it. The levee looked well manicured, perfect almost. It was hard to believe that there was encroaching water just on the other side. There was a thin layer of fresh sand just at the top of it, like someone had put it there recently. Beyond the levee, we could see the top half of the matured trees just on the other side, a good indication of how tall this levee really is. They pass it up. And uh, believe me, I'm glad to show the whole world because uh, we don't need money thrown at this project. We need sound reasoning. Between the white sandbags piled off to the side, that fresh thin layer of sand, and the track marks of heavy machinery all over the place, it was obvious that someone had been out here recently. That wasn't the end of the tour, though. Nancy wanted to continue on that gravel road next to the levee. But there were pools of water from the rainfall that came earlier that day, making that portion of the path useless. We turned around, and this process continued for another two and a half, three hours. More two-lane roads, more gravel roads, and at the end of all of them, more well-manicured levees, built up taller than what is allowed, keeping out the high water of the Mississippi River. It's, it's a little upsetting to see people go to this degree knowing they're harming others and their chance of a good livelihood. That is the sad part. And what struck me most about this journey was what the levees were protecting. Farmland. Acres upon acres of row crops, some corn and some soybeans, already planted for the season. I didn't see what was happening downstream, though. I mentioned Nancy's family owns some farmland in and out of Missouri. When I met her on June 12th, they hadn't planted a single crop. They don't have the luxury of pristine and tall levees. Their land has been flooded since April. 
a stark contrast to what we saw in the sny. Nancy and I parted ways after her tour of the levees and an early dinner back in downtown Hannibal. But my time in Hannibal wasn't done yet. Well, this year, 2019, we are... Whoops. <laughs> We're answering the telephone, <laughs> which is... That's Henry Sweets. And I'm the executive director of the Mark Twain Boyhood Holman Museum in Hannibal, Missouri. I met him the following day. You could consider him an expert on all things Hannibal and all things Mark Twain. He's been the curator of the museum for close to 41 years and grew up in Hannibal. The museum sees about 50,000 guests a year, and that's not only from people in the United States. come to visit, and they come from literally around the world. We will have as many as 60, maybe 70 different countries sign our guest register in the course of a year. So that draw from Mark Twain is a truly international draw bringing people here. I was curious to ask him what Twain would think if he saw the Mississippi River today. As most people know, the guy had a close relationship to the river. Well, growing up here in Hannibal, um, Samuel Clemens, the future Mark Twain, lived about a block and a half from the banks of the river. So when that cry of steamboat a-coming rang out, uh, he'd be one of the first boys down there at the riverfront to watch the boats come and go. From being a kid playing on its banks to a steamboat pilot sailing between St. Louis and New Orleans just before the start of the Civil War, Twain knew and understood the nature of the Mississippi River better than most during his lifetime. He wrote about his time as a steamboat pilot in his memoir, Life on the Mississippi, published in 1883. Even then, 136 years ago, he could see what people wanted to do with the river. One who knows the Mississippi will promptly aver, not aloud but to himself, that 10,000 river commissions, with the minds of the world at their back, cannot tame that lawless stream, cannot curb it or confine it, cannot say to it, go here, or go there, and make it obey, cannot save a shore which it has sentenced, cannot bar its path with an obstruction which it will not tear down, dance over, and laugh at. Here's Henry's thoughts on how Twain might react if he was standing on Hannibal's flood wall and looking out onto the Mississippi River. I think he would be amazed at how much the river has uh, uh, been tamed to the degree of providing that uh, avenue of commerce and transportation. I think he would be very sad to see the uh, great demise of the passenger traffic on the river because working on the steamboats he was dealing with those passengers and crew all the time and today you have to take a special cruise to get out on the river. The regular transportation just isn't there like he knew and he remembered. But uh, I think he would find the river still very familiar to him and uh, would still be an inspiration for him. I find that answer almost poetic, because according to Sweets, there are still aspects of America's grandest river that would inspire Mark Twain today. Beyond this senseless and dangerous levee war is a feeling that the cultural and environmental essence of the Mississippi may still be there, enough to inspire some of the most well-known literature of all time. I met with Steve Ayers that same day, later in the afternoon. 
He's an older gentleman with a thick gray mustache and has been a potter for more than 40 years. He's made and sold pottery out of the same shop right in downtown Hannibal since 1988. So I've been very, very lucky having been able to do this all my life. Ayers remembers a time when downtown Hannibal looked very different. Prior to that, you could buy, the people were giving buildings away, you could buy buildings for $15,000 in the downtown. Because uh, everyone was afraid of the floods. We had flooded time after time after time. Uh, Their flood wall has protected them from rogue waters since the early 90s. Since then, Hannibal's downtown businesses and tourism is able to at least function during a high crust on the river. When I first talked with Steve over the phone, he wasn't too sure about the raised levees across the river in the snot. You had people like Nancy and the Army Corps insisting the levees are too high, all while the SNI continuously denies it. That day we met, he was much more convinced of the issue. Steve had seen how tall the levees were himself, just like I did, and he hoped to be more vocal about the illegal levees in the future. They're claiming that the levee across the river is 29 feet, and it's not. It's higher than that. So whenever we go into these conversations, uh, the most basic question, they're lying. And that you have to let that frame everything that you talk about from that point forward. The following day, I met with John Ling. I've lived in Hannibal my whole life, and I am semi-retired right now. He served as Hannibal's mayor from 1981 to 1985. We met at Java Jive, a locally owned coffee shop whose front door is a few hundred feet from Hannibal's flood wall. Having lived in Hannibal his whole life, and having been mayor for four years, John is in a good position to give an idea of how Hannibal dealt with flooding before the flood wall. The problem was not that any one flood did that much devastating damage to the businesses and the buildings here. It was the problem that it just happened over and over again. And, and people would do everything they could to protect their business from the flood. They'd take stuff to the second floor, they'd haul it out. They'd come back, they'd clean up after the flood, and they'd repair, and a year or a year or two later, they had to do the same thing over again. And it got to the point where it was so frustrating that it was very difficult to get people to do business in the area that uh, was subject to fairly regular flooding. I asked him what his thoughts were on the overbuilt levees across the river. Well, I hope you're prepared for a disappointment, because I don't know enough to know how one affects the other. When the river is constricted, it will flood more. And um, I think we've known that for a long, long time. He went on to tell me that people need to follow the rules put into place, but at this point, he thinks Hannibal needs to build their flood wall higher in response. If that levee isn't high enough, and obviously it is not, then the, the logical thing to do would be to permanently increase it, its height by 30 inches or 30 inches, 36 inches or whatever would be appropriate, and not have to do all that work and incur all that expense. I've had trouble trying to sell that proposition. This is the kind of culture the SNI supports with their actions. In some places, people like John want to build higher if someone else across the river does the same. In other places, People are more vulnerable to flooding because they follow the rules and refuse to engage in an endless battle of raising levees.
Then there's Steve Terry. Your name, your what you do for a living. Hi, my name's Steve Terry. S T E V E T E R R Y. I'm co-owner and captain of the Mark Twain Riverboat in Hannibal, Missouri. Captain Terry pilots one of the few riverboats that Mark Twain would see on the modern Mississippi River. His ability to operate is heavily dependent on the level of the water. Well, uh, we've not, we've, uh, to date, as of right now, we've run uh, 22 trips. Uh, this is the middle of June. Normally, we start at the end of uh, March, so we should have had 122 trips in by now. When the river is high, the launch point for his riverboat is inundated with water. They can't bring people out into the water with nowhere to get them on the boat. While the museum or Ayers Pottery Shop is protected behind Hannibal's flood wall, Terry and the Mark Twain riverboat crews can't do much to get away from the water. It's instances like these where the levees across the river in the Sny may really be affecting Terry's business. If more water is pushed onto Hannibal, their waterfront property will be flooded more frequently and for longer duration. Talking to people like Steve and Nancy gave me insight into the places affected by dangerous, unlawful levees. Living a few hours east of Hannibal, I'm far removed from the Mississippi River. But I hope hearing their stories connected you to the issue, just like it did for me. The rules put into place by the Army Corps of Engineers and the Illinois Department of Natural Resources are meant to create an equitable environment. They're meant to ensure people are protected at the same level. But when places like the Sny break those rules, that equitable environment is shattered. These overbuilt levees in the Sny and other districts push risk and water onto the people you heard from. People who also have homes, property, and businesses along the river. People who do follow the rules and maintain their levees or flood walls properly. People who don't want to get involved in an endless battle of raising levees just because their neighbors do the same. I'll leave you with Nancy's words. It's, it's a little upsetting to see people go to this degree knowing they're harming others and their chance of a good livelihood. That is the sad part. I've been your host, Ryan Grasso, with Prairie Rivers Network. We protect water, heal land, and inspire change. To learn more about the work we do or become a member, visit prairierivers.org. And be sure to listen to our other episode detailing natural solutions to alleviate risk and flooding on the Mississippi River. Thanks for listening. See you soon. If it keeps on raining, going to break. If it keeps on raining, Lever's going to break And the water gonna come And I have no place to stay